the day everyone has been waiting for is finally here. Today, Illinois returns to normal business operations in the final phase of our Restore Illinois plan. You've made this possible by following the science-based COVID mitigations for all these many months. COVID hasn't disappeared, but for most people, this summer will be a return to normalcy. Governor J.B. Pritzker announces the official start of Phase 5 of the state's reopening plan. That means full reopening and a return to normal activities, for the most part. We'll hear from the governor about what this means and what the last 15 months have meant, and we'll talk about other things happening at the State House on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Friday, June 11th, marked Illinois' official entry into Phase 5 of the reopening plan. With more than half of the state's adult population now fully vaccinated against COVID-19, and with infection rates and hospitalizations on a steady downward trend, life in Illinois is getting back to normal. That means no more capacity limits at bars, restaurants, and public gatherings, no more face mandates, except except in a few circumstances, and for the first time in more than a year, people can go, people can, people can now go out, people can now go out to ball games, concerts, movies, and other events without having to worry about maintaining six feet of social distance. But some rules are going to remain in place. That includes such things as the moratorium on residential evictions and the hold on utility shutoffs. Last week, I had a chance to talk with Governor Pritzker about this next phase of reopening, and I asked him whether the disaster declaration that he first issued back on March 9th of last year, the declaration that serves as the basis of many of the restrictions that were put in place, will remain in effect. Here's what he had to say. June 11th is uh, the date in which we move into phase five of the Reopen Illinois plan. Uh, and, you know, it's a new chapter, of course, in the pandemic. Um, but uh, we aren't quite ready yet to remove the disaster declaration. Uh, there are things that need to be ramped down um, and, you know, and, and making sure, of course, that we, we actually are seeing a continued decrease of cases and hospitalizations. Uh, so, you know, we're certainly looking at it. And as you said, many of the provisions in there are not things that you want to just immediately snap your fingers and say they've gone away. Um, but, but you know, we are looking very seriously at, you know, the date in which we might remove that disaster declaration. And, and listening to the CDC also about the direction of the pandemic, things look very good right now. Very good. During that interview, I also asked the governor to look back over the last 15 months and assess how well the state responded to the pandemic and whether, in hindsight, he wished he had done anything differently. Oh, gosh, Peter, um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I'm sure I might have made some different decisions. But that just wasn't the, you know, wasn't something available to me. What we had was a novel coronavirus. I had to make a decision to issue a stay-at-home order 
when I had projections delivered to me, they still sit on the corner of my desk. I'm looking at them right now um, on you know a couple of days before the uh, stay-at-home order that said that by August of 2020, if we didn't put a stay-at-home order in place, we would lose 20,000 people. We'd have 20,000 people die in Chicago alone by August of 2020. So we had to make decisions quickly. We had to make, uh, we had to be decisive about it. Uh, I needed to be transparent and communicate. You know, I had 188 press conferences during the year 2020. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, it was my job to not only give people the facts, but, uh, but do that in the face of uh, a president in Washington, D.C., who was lying to people about this. And I, I think people needed to hear from somebody um, and, you know, somebody that I, you know, that, that, that they would be willing to listen to, that they trust. Um, and people did the right thing. I mean, this is the amazing thing about Illinois is that, you know, we put the mitigations in place and then people actually followed them, did the right thing. The result of which is many, many lives were saved. I don't know if you remember on that day when I announced the stay at home order, I had a doctor standing there, Dr. Emily Landon. And, and she got up mm -hmm. to talk about this. And she said, if we do this right, you won't even know how many lives were saved because people will be alive. They, you won't even know. Um, and so uh, that was our goal. Our goal was to just keep people alive, make sure our hospitals were available for people. Uh, we, you know, so many hard decisions had to be made, and they had to be made in a fashion that didn't take politics into account, that just focused on people's health and safety. That was Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker speaking on Thursday, June 3rd, about the state entering the final phase of the Restore Illinois reopening plan. And with that, we'll bring the conversation back to the Capital News Illinois reporting team. With me here is Jerry Nowicki, our bureau chief, and reporter Sarah Manser. Jerry, I'll start with you. Uh, believe it or not, there are other things happening in or around the state house. Lawmakers are coming back this coming week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, to finish up work on a massive energy bill, something they weren't quite able to accomplish before the first of the month. Uh, what do we know so far about this bill? Uh, we know it's still very much in the works. Um, there is going to be working group meetings throughout the weekend, I'm told, by people in them. Uh, I've been trying to get some text messages back and calls answered on a couple of the uh, measures in the bill, but it's looking like at, at this point, Exelon, um, which owns the six nuclear plants in Illinois, would get $694 million in subsidies uh, over five years in total for three of them, which would put them at five of their six nuclear plants receiving state subsidies because two of them received about $2.3 billion uh, to be distributed over 10 years uh, in a 2016 bill. So um, that's the major part of it. And another one is coal plants would be required to close by 2035. Um, and at this point, it includes the Prairie State Energy Campus in Marissa, Illinois, sort of in the metro east area near St. Louis, um, which uh, there are hundreds of municipalities of, of across several states that get their energy from that. And 
have paid for that facility with five billion dollars in bonds, uh, but it would it would be forced to go offline in 2035 under this bill. Okay, and there are other municipalities throughout the state, uh, the city of Springfield being one of them, that have coal-fired plants. They're municipally owned coal-fired plants. Many of them have been arguing that uh, they have outstanding bonds on those plants and they're not quite ready to close them that early. Is, is there anything in the bill that we've seen so far that would help out um, Springfield and other municipalities? Um, there's, uh, there was $2 million a year for decommissioning costs for that Prairie State facility. Uh, but I, as far as every municipality, I don't know how that would work. I don't believe so. I, I've read a summary from the governor's office. I have not read all 866 pages or really uh, gotten the inside info from that uh, working group today. And, you know, a lot of things could change over the weekend. Okay, and you mentioned nearly $700 million in subsidies for the nuclear plants owned by Exelon. Exelon is the parent company of Commonwealth Edison, which has been at the center of a federal corruption probe. They entered a deferred prosecution agreement admitting to a years-long scheme of attempting to bribe former House Speaker Michael Madigan. Uh, so is there, first of all, is there anything in the bill that sort of addresses that sort of ethical issue? And also, you know, I'm wondering how that's going to go over with lawmakers who basically forced Madigan out of his position over this. Yeah, there are a number of reasons they didn't want Madigan to be in office anymore. Um, but uh, the ethics part, it would essentially the big one, I think, is ending automatic formulaic rate increases, which was a uh, basically increasing electricity rates without having to go through regulators, and that was part of the conduct, part of the bills that was noted in that deferred prosecution agreement with Commonwealth Edison. Um, but there are yeah. other things, such as expansion of the statement of economic interest requirements um, to include any spouse or immediate family member employed by a public utility. Um, and uh, it requires the Illinois Commerce Commission to initiate an investigation into how uh, ratepayer funds were used in connection with the conduct outlined in ComEd's uh, deferred prosecution agreement. And uh, it would potentially uh, put refunds back into uh, ratepayers' pockets um, if, if it's found that they were used wrongly. One other thing I'd like to note on that is that uh, there'd be it essentially increased the charge on ratepayer bills um, to fund renewable energy to try to get the state to forty percent uh, wind and solar, and that's about a, a buck twenty-two is the governor's office estimate as to how that would affect each uh, ratepayer's pocketbook per month individually. Okay, so the Senate is coming back on Tuesday to take this up. The House is coming back on Wednesday. The Senate is anticipating they're only going to be here for one day, so there's not really much of a chance for one house to amend the bill and send it back to the other house. It's going to have to go through as is, isn't it? Yeah, unless they put more days on the schedule if, uh, if this one doesn't work out. We'll see. You know, that that's always possible. That's what they did this week. That's what they did for the upcoming week and may have to do it again. 
Okay, so we'll be following that in the upcoming week. Uh, meanwhile, I want to turn to Sarah Manser. As the state is reopening, we heard from one state agency this week that is having a little bit of a problem fully reopening, and that's the Department of Natural Resources, which runs state parks and historic sites and wildlife refuges and those sorts of things. What's going on at IDNR? Yeah, so uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, the uh, Illinois Department of Natural Resources Chief of Staff, Kristen DeCenzo, uh, testified before the Senate uh, Hospitality and Tourism Committee. And the committee also heard from um, tourism industry uh, officials and business owners in downstate Illinois about the reopening. Um, but uh, Kristen DeCenzo talked to the committee about how short-staffed her agency is to um, do what needs to be done to maintain all of the state parks and wildlife and recreation uh, areas and historic sites. Um, so there are roughly 400 of those, and um, her agency only has, according to her, about 1,100 employees. Which is fewer than they had several years ago, isn't it? Yeah, she said that um, in 2003 when she first joined, it was about 1,700. And before that, the, the high that she knew was about 2,500. And this is interesting because the tourism travel and tourism industry was really among the hardest hit industries during the pandemic. Uh, that includes hotels, restaurants and bars, tourist attractions, those sorts of things. Uh, and now that they're reopening, uh, it's, it's concerning to see that they're so short-staffed. Uh, so is there anything on the table to help deal with that? Well, unfortunately, the, the state funding for Illinois Department of Natural Resources is flat. Um, so it seems like maybe resources outside of the state budget might be helpful. Um, the chief of staff was also talking about how uh, friends groups in the local communities help to support parks and historic sites because there just isn't enough state funds to do it. Okay, and then one of the other things that you covered recently was a task force that is looking at uh, monuments and statues on state property, particularly around the Capitol complex, but possibly in other areas. Uh, there is kind of a controversial statue in the Capitol area complex here in Springfield of Martin Luther King. Uh, can you tell me about what that controversy is about and what they would like to do about it? Yeah. Um, it seems like a there is bipartisan agreement that the Martin Luther King Jr., statue across from the Capitol complex is uh, not, uh, does not resemble King in his true likeness, and um, Republicans and Democrats seem to agree that that statue should be replaced to better, uh, to, to better reflect um, uh, what King actually looked like, and also to to make it more prominent on the Capitol grounds instead of being located across from the Capitol. I noticed that it doesn't, if you just walk by it, uh, it doesn't Im immediately convey Martin Luther King. You have to kind of look at the plaque to see that that's 
who the statue is of and maybe not the most flattering of uh, images possibly there's been some artistic criticism of the statue over the years uh, has. and actually during the the task force meeting uh, on Wednesday uh, Illinois Secretary of State Jesse White testified because he's also pushing for an, uh, a recreated statue of King and he described the or he characterized the statue out there as a sharecropper. That was how he viewed the statue of King. So, yes, I don't think a lot of people think it, it reflects the, the hero of the civil rights movement that he was. And I think it was Representative Tim Butler from here in Springfield who noted that it's kind of under a tree where it's, birds uh, often sit and the statue collects right waste material from the birds <laughs> and that also is not necessarily flattering to dr king's memory right that is that is something he said yeah okay well we'll leave it at that for this week's edition of capital cast capital cast is a production of capital news illinois a statehouse reporting project of the illinois press foundation until next time stay safe and thank you for listening